Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 21st, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on. And here in about 40 minutes into the podcast, we're going to have John Rowley come back on, talk mainly about Tennessee. He said he also um, uh, could discuss the Florida governor's race with us as well, if we can get to that. Tennessee has got a lot of races on its own, so we're excited to discuss those with John a little later than our normal time. So um, listen through, or if you just like listening to the guest, it should be roughly around the 40-minute mark. Um, but until then, we're going to try to have some topics all across the country, and we're going to start with, um, one of the really most exciting races in the country, irregardless of where someone lives, getting a lot of national coverage. The Daily Show seems to cover it almost more than any other race, and that's the Georgia governor's race. And, Tim, you actually uh, were in person where Stacey Abrams was speaking in um, the largest city in northwest Georgia, Rome, uh, this past Friday. Kind of tell us a little bit about that event. Yeah, um, our good buddy Wendy Davis, I believe, put this thing together or had a lot to do with it. She pretty well served as the master of ceremonies down there. It was uh, part of a Stacey Abrams bus tour that she's on. I think she did, I believe it was like the second of five stops that she had for Friday. It was held at uh, what they call the courtyard at Schroeder's. It's, It's a a deli on Broad Street, the main street, if nobody knows anything about Rome. And there's this big open yard behind it, surrounded by high walls of, of buildings and a parking deck. And this actually serves as a mu- music venue with a big stage and all that. Um, there was probably about 250 of us there you couldn't sit down anywhere you had to stand uh and there were more people out on the street and inside the deli who just couldn't fit in there uh there were three speakers at this event uh charlie bailey who's running for um our attorney general um janice laws um, our candidate for insurance commissioner Stacey Abrams. She was greeted, by the way, like a rock star. This crowd was not what I'm quite used to seeing. It was a lot younger, a lot more diverse. That might have been because it was at 2.30 in the afternoon, and, you know, a lot of, you know, middle-aged older people might have been at work. There were, unfortunately, a couple of hecklers up front, a man and a woman, uh, Things did get a little tense because some of the folks that were there uh, kind of began to object to that those people hollering. Uh, 
Representative Abrams was at the microphone at the time, and she maintained her calm, and she settled both the crowd and the hecklers down, and she actually addressed the things that the man was shouting at her about. Uh, and afterwards, she actually shook the man's hand, and then the man and woman calmly left the venue, uh, escorted by security. Um I, you know, I, I, I hated uh, such a great event to be to be ruined by something like that. Maybe it's a sign of the times. I don't know. Uh, I use the word ruined. It wasn't actually ruined. It was it was a terrific event, and getting those kind of crowds. You are having some audio problems again, uh, like we did pre-show, just to kind of let you know that. Um, but I'm gonna t- take it for a second and. Compare this, and this to me speaks of enthusiasm, um, because I thought Jason Carter was a great candidate. It's just a very different year as far as enthusiasm. Um, I went to an event in Rome on Broad Street, different location, makerspace. I don't think Schroeder's in makerspace was the difference. It's it's, um, just the enthusiasm around this year and this candidate um, that's making the difference. There was about, I may be generous and say 25 people there, like a tenth of the crowd, we sat in um, uh, chairs and uh, sat around and just had like a conversation. Um, so it's a different event. Uh, if you were one of the 25 people, it might have been great for you, but if you're running for office in the fall, you want a crowd of 250 people, not 25 people, because um, each vote counts the same and you want more of them. Um, so, so definitely there seems to be more enthusiasm. Um, before we move on to the next point off of this, uh, Catherine, what are you seeing as far as difference in enthusiasm from four years ago? Oh, well, I mean, a lot different. I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Jason Carter, but I would never call him a good candidate in that race. So I would, I think he uh, sort of lost his voice uh, during that campaign, and uh, it's really unfortunate. But, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of his, and I think he would have been a great governor, but I don't think he ran a very good campaign. I do not think he was a good candidate. Um, I mean, he had the potential to be a good candidate, but his campaign was not run well. seeing a lot of enthusiasm here in Atlanta over about Stacey Abrams, a lot of um, events happening, a lot of canvassing being done, a lot of phone banking, a lot of people wanting to um, – you know, participate and be engaged in the in the campaign, which I think is great because I think it, you know, the more people you have engaged in the campaign, the more they talk to their friends and they talk to their friends and it, it, it spreads the, um, the word around and gets people out to vote. And, of course, we're seeing incredible uh, early or advanced voting uh, numbers. We can't I, I don't know what, if we've seen whether they're Democrat, Democrats or Republicans yet, but but I think uh, good early vote numbers are a good thing. Yeah, and and we can discuss probably at a later time the differences in four-year cycles and whatnot. And obviously, it's who you face too. And you know, I'm not Nathan Deal's biggest supporter either, but I do think he was a much better candidate. Um, than, than Brian Kemp. Uh, Brian Kemp's uh, about bottom of the barrel, in my opinion, on a lot of things too. So that doesn't hurt. Um, well, let's. Uh, I want to segue over to the other point, and it's not just here in Georgia. In Florida, 
I, I believe Nancy Pelosi, I know it's Nancy Pelosi, but I believe she's campaigning for Donna Shalala in South Florida, Miami area. And she was heckled uh, by folks. And, and to be fair, on the other side, um, even though it wasn't a candidate event, um, in Louisville is home state, not D.C. Um, Mitch McConnell was eating with his wife, Elaine Chow. And I think the actual doggy bag of food was thrown, you know, on the ground, which is kind of a step further than some of these past restaurant incidents we've seen. Um, it seems like we're losing our decorum and our democracy. And, and you know, need, knowing that people have rights to their own opinions and you need to hear these opinions, whether you agree with it from the left or the right, uh, whichever side it is, I, it just seems like we're losing uh, more of our democracy like um, – Dr. Levetsky uh, spoke about a few weeks ago when he was here, how democracies die. This seems like another nail, hopefully not in the coffin. That means it'll die, but one of those um, negative indicators. Tim, um, what's your thoughts on what you witnessed in person on Friday and then what you've heard about um, in the past few weeks? Okay, let me apologize for my audio problems. I switched over to another phone uh I don't know how much of what I said you heard. I think we got a lot. We heard most of it. Uh, I think we got most of it. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. you were to probably at a pretty good transition point, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was tense in there. It, it, it was everything. It was the, the, the type of venue we were at, which was surrounded by high walls. One of those walls was a parking deck. There were people up on top of that parking deck. When you start getting hecklers in in the audience and you look up and you see a couple of people on the parking deck laughing, taking pictures, that sort of thing, you get to wondering. You get, you get concerned. Uh, not only was I concerned about what somebody might try to do, but I, I was concerned for the safety of the hecklers, too. They were right up front. They were going to have to turn around and walk all the way through that crowd. Thank goodness uh, the city police were there as as well as some other security um, that was able to escort those folks out because uh, just, just for a tense moment there, I thought something was going to happen. The problem, guys, is that it starts at the top. I mean, our president the other night at an event, was bragging on a guy for body slamming a reporter. You know, Trump's doing this stuff. He's agging it on. He's making it worse. He wants this sort of thing to happen because he feels like it's good for him, and it's going to keep happening too because there's one guy that's not going to settle down. There's one guy that's not going to shut up. Wouldn't you all agree with that? Yes. Yes, and what he did in Montana – uh, is an indicator of that, how yeah. you perceive things. Catherine? Yeah. Well, also, in, I mean, the week that we learn, or the, in the, whatever, the last 10 days, we learn of the brutal murder of a, you know, well-known, well-respected reporter, and then he's bragging on this stupid congressman who body-slammed another reporter. I mean, it's just... Um, it's just shocking. It's really shocking and very discouraging about just the, and the response from the audience is also very discouraging. You know, he eggs them on and they go right in for it. You know, they don't, they don't, 
they don't challenge it. I mean, they're they're right there with them, cheering along. It's very uh, it's very discouraging. Yeah, I think somebody compared it to the Roman uh, Roman gladiators or uh, the Lions Den. You know, Daniel in the Lions Den, things like that. And, and I think uh, Glenn Thrush came on the program one time and you know compared it the fact that he had been in pro wrestling and this is pro wrestling esque. Honestly, this is actually pro wrestling from say the seventies or eighties. Not pro wrestling today. It didn't have this much passion. There's uh, another angle. Bad for wrestling. Uh, I mean, be uh, yeah, bad for wrestling and bad for politics. Not, there, not a good thing either another, way. Tim? There, there's another angle that concerned me about this a little bit. I was listening carefully, especially to the man, and it certainly did seem to me like he had been prepped. And oh, really? There. Well, Channel 2 was there. The Rome News Tribune was there, and they were right up there, right near him, with their microphones and cameras and stuff. And the first thing the Rome News mentioned was him. So I got to wonder if somebody prepped him and sent him there with with the lady with him. It, because it, it it really seemed that way to me, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't think the guy just walked in and just all of a sudden decided to do that. That that just didn't mm-hmm. seem the way it was. And he didn't say oh, well, one not... syllable until Stacey Abrams got up there. And then he went to hollering things about her taxes and, you know, letting illegals vote and, you know, things like that. That was yeah, aimed and I, right I at her. Wonder. Yeah, I do wonder if uh, if this kind of thing even works. I think it can backfire uh, because it just looks. I mean, you know, it's going to fire the crowd up that's there to go vote and tell people about them. Um, I just don't see how you win with this kind of thing, and so therefore, if maybe people don't win with it, it'll go away. But I, I think right now, at least through this election cycle, and probably honestly until Donald Trump is no longer president are no longer the political scene and things tamp down, it may it may continue to we may continue to see incidents like this, which is unfortunate. Um I don't think it really adds anything to the, the conversation. Do you, Catherine? No, not at all. It 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 hurts the conversation. Yes. But, well but um guys, well I go ahead Tim. I, I, I'm just afraid it's not going to stop because, like I said, Donald Trump thinks it's something he wins with. I mean, he talks about yeah. when someone was thrown out of one of his rallies when he's running for president, he was talking about taking them outside and beating the hell out of them and talking about, you know, I could shoot on Fifth Avenue and not hit one of my supporters and just – you know that that sort of thing, and 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 calling people all these vile names from the podium. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and, and I, it just keeps, well, I, and he's gonna keep it up. Well, hopefully, as I'm saying, hopefully it won't keep it up because in 2008 you could have had a very volatile campaign, but when people tried to the, the his you know his base voters tried to stir it up, John McCain squelched it. Um, you know, Mitt Romney, for the most part, didn't stoke these kind of things when he ran. Um, I, hopefully, a candidate, if he would have gotten the nomination like Jeb Bush, wouldn't have done things like this. 
Um, so I, I think it's incumbent upon okay. both parties and more well, so, let me ask you since something. the Republicans David. have given us Donald Trump, it's more if, incumbent if, upon yeah, them but, to return but, to the court. David, if, if prospective candidates that are thinking about running for office around the country watch Trump and see what he's doing work, you don't think we'll have copycats springing up all over? Absolutely oh, we will. Exactly. It's going to have to not work. It's going to have to cause them to lose at least a chamber um, and, and probably a whole bunch of governorships, and that's a later topic, governors between Senate. And then him losing 2020, and then the Republicans look at themselves in the mirror. And at the same time, we've got to be careful – you know, I guess the, the lawyer, uh, Michael Avenetti, I mean, don't we shouldn't go for something like that. We we have to go for a professional um, person with class and decorum on our side, too. Um, so it's important both ways that, you know, we both have candidates that want to talk about issues and, and, and treat people with respect. Um, you know, just follow the golden rule. It's, it's not that complicated. Um, well, let's. Let's kind of uh, transition to something else. And this past week or two, um, we, you know, we've talked about West Virginia before, and we've talked about the Senate race. Um, looks like Joe Manchin's going to pull it out, although the Republicans may want the real thing, and, and that could cause him problems. And if it does, uh, that's something that he'll have to look at, uh, how he did a few things towards the end of this campaign. But a more interesting race in that state is probably the 3rd Congressional District, there's a state senator running for Congress, a Democrat, Richard Ojeda, and it, most times you see it as Ojeda, but he pronounces it Ojeda. Um, and he's actually been ahead at times in the polls and striking distance, and this is a district that has been held by Republican. Um, Republicans won in the presidential level by double figures. Um, and interestingly enough, this guy is really progressive on a lot of issues, but voted for Donald Trump. Uh, in the past election, because of coal mining jobs, I mean, he was just like, my people need jobs, and that that's all I voted. This, I mean, he pre- pretty much didn't agree with Donald Trump on anything else. And, and he's really a fascinating candidate. I mean, if you look it up on Daily Coast, he gets positive press from progressive outlets, even though he voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Um, Catherine, is this – I mean, honestly, does this even make any sense? Well, it doesn't make any sense because <clears throat> the fact is that there that coal jobs are are not real. It's not realistic to think that we're going to be able to bring back the coal industry to the way it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. It's just not a fact. It's just a fact that it's not going to happen. And so, I think that's kind of a false um, narrative for him to say that's why he voted for Donald Trump. The, what he should be looking at is what Hillary Clinton talked about, which was finding new um, types of jobs for the people that have been working in the coal mines and safe, more um, future, you know, forward-looking jobs. So I don't really buy that argument, but I'm glad that he's progressive on a lot of other things, and I hope that he is um, able to win. But I do think that's a false argument about coal mine a coal jobs i I mean i I agree with you Catherine, but i will say this for whatever reason van jones actually talked to him about hillary clinton and he talked about 
that very specific thing is he didn't think that those were going to be good paying jobs. They were jobs that were more worker retraining than actual jobs was his um, take on it. Um, I think he should look at the city of Pittsburgh. The city of Pittsburgh, the last steel mill closed down um, around 1990, and they've completely remade their economy around high-tech jobs using places like Carnegie Mellon. And um, so that shows that a city can have one identity, and if they'll take a different path, they can remake themselves completely. Um, Tim, what have you uh, learned about Richard Ojeda and his chances and just his whole um, way about going about things, if you will? Well, it's certainly one of the most uh, interesting congressional candidates in <laughs> in the country. I mean, he, he, he was he was a lifer in the military. He was in the uh, he was um, Army Airborne for over twenty years. He was he was an officer. He was a captain. He's been in the state senate, as you mentioned. He is a labor act activist he's talked a lot about coal but the big thing that brought him to the forefront was um in january he took to the floor of the senate during their budget debates and that's talking about not giving the teachers a raise maybe even cutting their salaries and stuff to try to balance the budget and he took the floor and said, you are making a mistake. These teachers not only don't need to be cut, they need to make a lot more. I'm going to vote against every bit of this. And let me warn you right now, you may laugh at me, but the teachers in this state are are talking the S word. By that, he meant strike. Well, as it so happens, uh, as we all know now, West Virginia was one of the first places the teachers hit the streets in this country, and it pushed him right to the forefront as basically their chief spokesperson and propelled him right into this race. A lot of the volunteers that are out helping this guy, guys, are school teachers. They're they're out making calls. They're putting up signs. They're manning the headquarters. They're they're doing all this stuff for him. And we're talking about a district that Donald Trump won by nearly fifty points. And uh, last polling up there, uh, he's running against a lady by the name of Carol Miller, state rep. She's four points up on him. Uh, and and he seems to be charging toward her. She seems to be stuck in the mid to high 40s, and he just keeps gaining steam. Uh, she refuses to debate him, which has hurt her. She's basically just tied herself to Trump and is trying to go into office like that. We want to watch this one on election night. This, this uh this is one of those congressional districts around the country that should not be close, but because of uh, a number of factors, it is co- close. This guy hates to be called a populist, but that really is what he is. He breaks the mold, and a lot of people are watching this race to see if this kind of a candidate in our party could win in a place like that. And it would be very welcome news in our big tent. Don't you think, David, if, if if a guy like this could win? Yes, I mean, because I think it's going to be not the same model has to work in every single district. I mean, our country is very diverse. Therefore, our candidates need to be diverse in a lot of different ways. Um, and so, um, you know, 
West Virginia is a – I've never been to the state, but I understand it's a very different place because uh, it's a place without a big city because um, Charleston, mm-hmm. West Virginia is, I mean, smaller than Rome where you, you um, were the event of the day, and that's by no means a big city. Um, so, therefore, uh, it just – it has its own unique um, set of rules, if you will. But uh, I, I do think if you were to make a list of, like, the ten most fascinating candidates, you know, like People Magazine has the most fascinating people of the year, that this is a guy that probably makes the list. You know, Better or Work yep. makes the list. Stacey Abrams makes the list. There's probably yep. some Republicans. To be fair, you probably have to have four or five Republicans out of that ten. Um, but this is to me, this guy makes the list of fascinating folks, and it will be one of those races to watch because if this kind of seat can get flipped, and I don't think it can get flipped with anybody, then – how big is this majority going to get? Because I do think the Democrats are going to win the majority, but is it going to be a 10-seat majority or is it going to be a 30-seat majority? And these are the kind of races that kind of bust that open bigger. Um, Catherine, what, what kind of harbinger do you think this will be for um, – or do you even think the Democrats will get the majority? Oh, I, I think we're going to win the majority. And these kind of um, races are the interesting ones to to do exactly – to to – uh, help us larger majority if we can win these those kind of races. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's a bigger divide than a lot of these special elections we've come so close and kept losing fifty points. Uh, that may be bigger than the Kansas special election, which was the almost the biggest flip. Tim. Well, I, I was just going to add here, you know, we t- I, I talked about school teachers, which is actually what propelled him into this congressional run. Um, there's tens of thousands of school teachers in every state in this country. You school teachers that are listening to us tonight, you know something? We're your party, not the other party. We're your party. Our gubernatorial right. candidate talks about, I'm the candidate of public education. You better bet we're the party of public education in this country. We're the party of, that represents the public school teachers, and we're the party uh, that that represents the whole public school system. So, you know, just a shout-out for my party. This guy's tapped into something up there, guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing, Tim. You actually were astute enough to ask uh, Jeff last week about that Oklahoma governor's race mm-hmm. that we hadn't discussed, how that thing, it makes no sense why that seat's in play, and yet it's in play, and we know education uh, is yep. a big driving force in a state like Oklahoma because uh, there's really not a lot of Democratic constituencies enough to make a majority uh, looking at the you know the current uh, you know urban roadmap, if you will, and so therefore you've got to put some pieces together like bringing school teachers back and and muster the numbers, and, and that's another place that that's happened. Don't, Let's kind of segue this into think, that. Oh, go ahead. Don't Tim. you think? I was just going to say, don't you guys think that there are two issues that when you get past all the hubbub, the name calling, this and that and the other, there are two issues this year that are really heavily on people's minds, health care and education. I mean, it seems like more so than normal. Even I notice Republican candidates are starting to have to talk and make commercials about 
health care, for instance, and some yeah, about education, too. The voters have got this on their minds. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, health care is unfortunately on their mind every time because so little has been done about it in the past 30 years, say. Catherine? Well, they were talking about this very thing on the morning shows this morning, how um, the Democrats are talking about health care and all, you know, everywhere, um, everywhere you look, they're talking yep. about, especially about pre-existing condition, conditions. And the Republicans are not talking about it as much. So I have seen a few um, Republican ads where they talk about health care in a very general way, though. I mean, it's not. They don't specify, they don't talk about pre existing conditions and they don't talk about women's health care. They just talk about health care in general, at least in the ones I've seen. But yeah, it more than um I recall in previous um mm-hmm. I mean we had a lot of we had a lot of Obamacare bashing in uh two thousand sixteen, but I think that the you know that now that where we are now, people are, are very concerned about things like pre existing conditions. So uh, I'm, uh, yeah, it's it's a really important issue, but I don't think it it overcomes the economy, and jobs. I mean, everybody, always. I mean, that's always at the top for people. Not always, well, and that's, but not for everyone, but and, for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's because in America, if you don't have a job, there's a decent chance you don't have health care too. Uh, so well, that income true. that pays for thing else, and you got the health care issue. So we've tied them together so that, that that makes the job a health care issue in America, unlike, say, Japan or Canada. Um, and I guess, honestly, if Republicans go, these are Band-Aids and Band-Aids are good, that's a better ad for the American public than here's my pickup truck, I'm going to stick illegals in the back, or – Here's my three-year-old. I'm teaching him to build a wall with blocks, um, like we've seen <laughs> two of the governor's candidates on the Republican side doing the primary in America. Um, but let's kind of get into governor's races compared to uh, Senate races. And a lot of these races, I-, I wouldn't bet any money a lot of different ways on some of these Senate races, even though some of them see- seem to be trending uh, more in a Republican direction. But the governor's races aren't doing that. They're either staying super close or they're getting more Democratic. I mean, Florida, uh, a poll out today, if, if that, those numbers are valid, um, that's outside the margin of error where Andrew Gilliam's up over Ron DeSantis. Um, Tim, why do you think that the um, governor's races are so much more Democratic this year than the Senate races, even – Inside, say the same state. Well, it it for for starters, it, it's the year that it is. Um, the, the, there are several reasons that that you could break down here, though. But uh, in the Senate races, Democrats are mostly the incumbents and play in defense. Twenty six of the thirty five races uh, are in Democratic seats. Ten of the races are in very red states. And uh, we are the challengers in most of the governor's races around the country, which feeds into the anti-incumbent thing a little bit for those that look at that. Uh, You have to also look at uh, 
where are the races? Like I said, most of the Senate races are in red states, and many Republican governors are defending in traditional blue states like Illinois, New Mexico, what else? Oh, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Florida that you mentioned. Uh, These are states that are either blue states or or battleground states. And, uh, you know, maybe people are just a little weary of of two-term Republican governors or whatnot in those states. And we got to remember that governors and senators are different. Governor is one person. Uh, one person who is, you know, the the head person in that state. A senator is one of two in a state and one of a hundred in a body. Um, There's also different issues that drive these races. Uh, You know, in the governor's race, you're going to see more state issues, and you're going to see more national stuff in the Senate, especially with the recent Supreme Court hearings and stuff. Those are just some of the reasons I think that 2018 represents this major divergence in the two, and I just don't think they're connected in any way. Do you, Catherine? Well, I don't think they're connected, but I think you you hit on the important thing is that the governor's job is a it's an executive position. It's you know we're looking yep. for someone who can manage um, all these different departments and divisions and. Um, I think we look when we're hiring someone, when we're electing or hiring someone for an executive position, we're looking for um, experience and skills in a different way than when we're hiring a, when we're electing a senator. Um, so I think, and, and this, and the skill set is very different in my opinion. Um, so I think that's different. And I think that the, um, the you know obviously you're right about the difference in the um, demographic or the you know electoral map for the two uh, sets of races. Um, but I I think we also I think the whole uh, incumbent uh, anti incumbent thing is real. I think there's you know some. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you. Can you hear me? Yeah, out for a second. But that cat- yeah, yeah, my phone. My headset fell out. Well, Sorry. I, I Sorry, everyone. Postulate. No, I, it, I think it's anyway. AT&T or whoever our phone service providers are because uh, everybody's having trouble tonight. <laughs> so I don't I think it's us. Uh, it's them. Um, but, yes, well, I, uh, I, I think they're very different. David, what do you think? Well, I, I do think in the past I remember – if you were going to tell us somebody was going to win or going to lose, to say, what does a X and a Y candidate voter look like? And I'll use one way from the past. Roy Barnes won our state in 1998. Paul Coverdell, the Republican, defeated the Democrat Michael Coles. I voted for both Barnes and Coles. But it was like, can you find a Barnes-Coverdell voter? And you could. Um, And it seems like increasingly, and that's a 20-year-old race now, um, but it seems like increasingly it's harder to find um, a combo voter. Like, uh, let's just say that um, David Perdue was on the ballot, and David Perdue's more akin to me to Brian Kemp than Johnny Isaacson for Senate. If, and we can name a candidate, uh, let's say Steve Henson, 
or Nakima Williams, the state senator, was the nominee against David Perdue. How many Purdue Abrams voters do you think there'd be? And how many um, Kemp uh, Nakima Williams voters do you think it exist? Or do you think pretty much people would vote for both of those races together? And, and I tend to think they'd vote together. Um, Tim, how many crossover uh, votes do you think some of these places are getting? Well, it, it, it ain't so much crossover. Uh, let, let me put it another way. There's a difference in Claire McCaskill running for re-election where she is and Bruce Rauner in, in the opposition party running for re-election where he is. I mean, Most that definitely. sort that's of thing's going on all over oranges. the country this year, right? Okay. Got well, let me a bring bunch it back of to Democrats that. in red states running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. You've got a bunch of Republicans in states like Illinois and, and some other places like that that are having to run for re-election as governor, Scott Walker in Wisconsin, uh, okay. those people. So there ain't really exactly. as well, much let's start there. I want, to, I want to do apples to apples. Okay, Scott, Scott Walker may lose. <laughs> Tammy yeah. Baldwin, the Democratic senator, won't lose. Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The, the Democratic Tony Resler, I believe his name is, he may win. Tammy Baldwin will win. In Texas, Ted Cruz could lose. Greg Abbott won't lose. The mm -hmm. Florida governor's race, um, a non-incumbent Andrew Gilliam is running five points ahead of a multi-term, non-controversial incumbent in Bill Nelson. Um, I bet we could go on. Uh, Arizona, Kristen Sinema. I think she's the favorite at this point. Doug Ducey, the Republican incumbent governor, is the favorite there. Um, you can't tell me Kansas, Alaska, and Oklahoma are very good Democratic states, and Democrats have a chance to win those. Um, that, that's what I'm saying. I just it, There is something different about governor's races and Senate races this year. Uh, we'll get into Tennessee here in a minute, hopefully, so I won't bring it up yet. But, but Catherine, I mean, do you see what I'm saying when we compare – same state, the same state, how Democrats are running ahead? I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, governor, I, I, governor's candidates are running ahead, not Democrats. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. But, still, I just, but still, you still have part of that divergent is not just what you said, but what I said. There are uh, the, the Democrats are having to play defense in the U.S. Senate races this year. The Republicans are having to play defense in the governor's races because there's just more of them and there's more Democrats on, on the Senate side. It's just one of those things, where, especially where there are governors and senators in states that the opposition party won two years ago. So they're, they're going to be facing something of a headwind right there, right yeah, yeah, and, and I and I will tell you this. I, I do think this is actually an interesting point. If you actually look even outside of the state, if you look even you know Pennsylvania, we're not residents of Pennsylvania. Nothing they do or very little they do will affect us, other than redistricting. If Democrats control these chambers at this time, or control that office at this, I shouldn't say chamber to control that office at this time, that actually may be more power. 
than a few Senate seats um, for one term. So it, it may actually be better for us uh, long term that uh, we win these governor's races because we would then have much more say in the map. I mean, no one will be able to just completely, you know, pillage us um, in redistricting because at least the governor will be a check on that to where to be a compromise map at worst. Um, Catherine, I know that y'all probably talk a lot about this with governor's races and, and looking at redistricting. Well, actually, let's put a pin in that, and we're going to talk about that Tennessee that uh, um, dynamic here in just a moment. Uh, welcome back to the co- uh, podcast, John Rowley. Welcome, John. Team, how are we doing? Okay. Doing good. Busy, <laughs> yeah, that, that, busy that time of year for days. you, I think. Maybe I need to ask a better question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the one with the knowledge, so we're going to ask you some questions, so maybe you'll have uh, even better answers. Um, but I, I wanted to start off with kind of a, a, a broad one, because I saw that Michael McDonald, the early voting guru, said that Knox County's early voting was up. Davidson's County's mm-hmm. early voting was up. And Shelby County's early voting was down. For those of you that don't know your Tennessee counties, I just mentioned Knoxville, uh, Nashville, and Memphis. Uh, I guess the three largest cities, Chattanooga, I guess, is the fourth in the state. Um, Why do you think Shelby County's lagging behind, and what does that mean really for all of the Democratic candidates? Well, the big thing that stood out, and and early voting happens over a period of two weeks in Tennessee, and we're only a couple days in, so it's – those, you know, we we may have some leading. We don't necessarily have the lagging indicators yet. But, I mean, Davidson County, Nashville, outpaced the 2016 presidential race. So, to mm. me, that was pretty meaningful. I mean, it's, the, it's a pretty big honeypot of votes. Middle Tennessee is, is where almost 50% of the electorate is, which is on the Nashville TV market. Um, Memphis is is I, I don't know that I can prove this his, historically, but in the elections I've done down there, it's a little bit more of an election day sort of uh, um, uh, dynamic. So I mean, I think that is that is pretty good news for Phil Bredesen and and the Democrats that er, you know early voting is up. I mean, typically if, if there's a higher turnout in a midterm. I mean, the thing that's been just devastating Democrats in 2010 and 2014, these last couple of midterms, is just the the modest turnout in the you know low 30s. And uh, so, I mean, I think we're going to blow that out of the water. And so that's I think that's got to bode well for Phil Bredesen. And I can't imagine the I can't imagine any of the Republicans, even though I was on a program with a few of them the other day, that are that don't have their knees knocking a little bit on that one. Yeah, and I guess one more thing since you may be living in state, one thing I have better is Hamilton County more like Davidson and Knox or more like uh, Shelby and their turnout rates? Ask me that again. I'm not... Hamilton County, where Chattanooga, the fourth, you know, good sized city in right. Tennessee, are the turnout rates more akin to Davidson and Knox being high or are they lower like uh, Shelby or has just no information been released? I don't know that I've seen Hamilton yet. Historically, they they do a lot of of early voting, and and also Knox County is is trending more and more blue. I mean, it's it's technically 
pretty close to being blue. And then Phil Bredesen won every county the last time he ran for governor, every single county. So I, I just I just have to believe that uh, that that all that is a, a pretty good indicator overall that you know there's going to be some. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it'll be an entire blue wave, but I think um, we, we just haven't. We just haven't seen that even in good years and and in good midterms back into 2006 or 2008 when Tennessee kind of went contrary to the national. Um, really went can't. Con- we lost the state part of the state legislature in the same same day Obama won, and we just had massive turnout in every other part of the country. So, so Tennessee's a little contrarian sometimes well, well uh i've been knoxville in a, a, at least a year so i guess all last time i was there it's always trending you know bright orange but but i don't know mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and then um there was and too, then honestly there was too much red there they just elected um a couple days ago so. a lot of red yeah and, um and then <laughs> so they uh elected a libertarian um a candidate, essentially, I think he ran as a Republican wrestler, Kane, um, but that was mm-hmm. Knox County. Is Knox County a much larger geographic region than Knoxville itself? Yeah, it, it is. They don't have county government, but, I mean, overall, Knox County is trending, like a lot of urban areas, is is trending more and more blue. We have a pretty progressive mayor of Knoxville, and she almost – Eight years ago, she almost beat Bill Haslam when he ran for the mayor uh, ran for mayor of, of Knoxville, even though he outspent her fifteen to one. So I think that just that's a pretty good commentary on and um, just kind of a, a little bit of the trend line, and it's also a little bit of the national trend line of urban or urban and exurban areas versus rural areas. Well, interesting. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and pass this over to Tim then Catherine for more questions about Tennessee and I guess including the big race. Tim? Uh, Good evening, John. Thank you for being with us. Um, I I wanted to follow up on uh, Bredesen for a minute. He did indeed, as you mentioned, carry every county the last time he ran for statewide office. He is, without a doubt, the best candidate that the Democrats in Tennessee could have run this year. And he's running against Marsha Blackburn from down there in Franklin, who, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Democrat. I'm just going to be honest. She's one of the worst-looking statewide candidates that I've seen in the country this year. How How is that race even close? Well, that is that is a frustrating point. Um you know, it's uh, it it is uh, uh, if if you are measuring resumes and accomplishments and any in other ways that you could measure politics and put things on the scoreboard. I mean, it would be it would be kind of like Alabama versus Tennessee. <laughs> it would be, it would have been a, it would be a runaway. I mean, she has um, you know she's been a kind of a creature of Washington for 16 years. She is the grand, um, you know, she is the grand poobah of talking head TV. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to get between her and a satellite uplink, or you'll get run over. Um, she, she does that better than anybody, and 
and she can deliver a, a talking point written by somebody else like nobody's business. And, and, you know, her negatives are higher than her positives. Lots of different research has shown she's got some huge problems with, you know, moderate to conservative women. Um, and uh, But, you know, the, the race is uh, um, it's tight. But, I mean, honestly, I, 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 that's not really a surprise to me. I mean, I think it was – I kind of assumed it would be a jump ball going down the home stretch. But, I mean, you know, you've got a candidate whose negatives are – higher than their positives, and then you've got one of the most successful governors in modern history in Tennessee who is, who's kind of in a dogfight. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I mean, part of it is, is, in this, is in this day and age, you know, kind of running on a, a thoughtful brand, a thoughtful, reasonable, let's work together to get things done brand versus just playing the tribal partisan game you know i mean it's it's going to be a little bit of a canary in the coal mine test because he is stuck to his guns he's you know he's he's pretty well driven that message the whole time and she's essentially said i'm 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 like a proxy vote for trump and she hasn't really backed down in in any way i mean she's been the subliminal candidate in debates and her ads it's almost like she's that character from saturday night live where she'll be delivering a sentence and all of a sudden she'll say Schumer or, you know, she's like, I believe in this Schumer. I believe in that Hillary. I mean, you know, just Uh if if you had a counter whenever she is doing anything publicly, the Schumer to Hillary count is just huge. And, uh, but it's, it's kind of the question is what, why is, why is that race so close? And, you know, I guess it's, it's where Tennessee is. And, uh, And then the other thing in the last, um, you know, in the last month, it's been crazy. I mean, the race has been neck and neck. Bredesen's ahead by four. She's ahead by three for a year. Then the Kavanaugh thing hits, and then these insane polls come out that sh- that show a race where 25 polls have had it as a, essentially a tied to five-point race, and all of a sudden it's a 10 to 15-point race. And, and now a bunch of polls have come back, and it's settled back down to – to where you know it's a few point race. One had Bredesen up, and one had her up, and and uh, so there was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth for a few days. But uh, I think it's settled back down. Okay, and and at the same time, though, we were we were talking before you come on the air about the divergence between gubernatorial races this year and U.S. Senate races. And in your mm-hmm. state, Bill Lee, according to the last poll. Uh, compilation I saw on Real Clear Politics, I believe was running like 18 points ahead uh, of, of Carl Dean. Now, why is this such a one-sided race? Well, I, part of it goes back to the primary. I think um, I think uh, your team had me on six to nine months ago, and I and I predicted that there was going to be 50 million dollars spent on the Republican primary, and. Uh, I think I got it almost to the dollar, which I'm not necessarily proud of. It could ruin my reputation if I start being that <laughs> accurate about looking at primaries. So I'm certainly not bragging about that. But the, but there was 50 million spent in that primary, and part, part of the reason he he won was not really due to merit, but um, Congresswoman Black and Randy Boyd spent about 35 of that million between them. A lot of it attacking each other and just. They did the classic thing that we see in a lot of crowded primaries. They just created an opening 
for the credible third candidate. And, you know, he spent a paltry $7 million and of just positive ads and ran up the middle. And uh, so, you know, part of it, he's, he was a little bit of the Cinderella story that he, uh-huh. he came through that unscathed, all that all those millions who who has opponents who spend 30 million and they barely really get a glove laid on them. That's just, he's one of the luckiest men in the history of Tennessee <laughs> politics. And uh, the, the other thing is that the general election has just been a snoozer. I've never seen 10 million in a governor's race spent where people were just snoring off their pillows. I was on a program the other day and we spent 30 minutes talking about the U S Senate race and they didn't even want to talk about the governor's race because it's just been, it's been pretty tame. I think that's played to Bill Lee's advantage. Uh, mayor Dean of Nash, former Mayor Dean of Nashville, arguably one of the most successful mayors the city's had, including Governor Bredesen, and uh, and he's just kept it relatively tame and hasn't really either found or decided to draw super tough contrast with Bill Lee. And so, you know, if you're a Republican who's ahead in the Tennessee race, why would you want to shake anything up? And so it's, uh, I don't think it's an 18 point race. I mean, I think those were some of the polls that came out around the Kavanaugh thing, but it's, you know, it's probably a seven to 10 point race and it would be, uh, and it may the margin. I I don't know where it's going to shake out, but I just, I I don't understand why there's not some tougher contrasts on Bill Lee right now. There's there's a whole lot of other stuff to talk about, and I'm going to send it over to Catherine to do it. Catherine? All right. Hey, hey thanks for being on tonight. It's nice to hey, have you back. Thank you. Um, I want to I, I ask you about the – it's a weird question, but are there, is awesome. there any concern? Is so so will, will the governor's race be at the top of the ballot or the Senate race? I think the Senate race, but that's that's a uh, that's one that I if I was under oath, I'd have to say I'm not sure. Let me see if I can look that up. <laughs> yeah, quick. It's, I think it's usually <laughs> the federal race that's on the top of the ballot. Yeah, yeah. well, I know it's certainly Georgia, the one driving the conversation. So, yeah, I know in Georgia the constitutional officers are first this time because we don't have a Senate race, but I can't remember what happens with it. Anyway, I just wondered if you mm-hmm. think that if if um, the governor's race is at the top of the ballot, if that's going to have any effect on the Senate race, you know, are people going to, you know, how people are, are they like, mm. I've, only you know, I've never seen any conclusive research that ballot position on, on races like that make that much difference. I know there are a number of people who, who believe that, but I just, I don't know. I've just, I've just never seen any research about that. It, you know, I guess if the governor's race was first, that probably wouldn't be helpful to Bredesen. Um, but if it, but if it, uh, but if it, uh, the Senate race was, I don't know. I think, I think that, I mean, the thing that is driving the conversation, the media coverage, the TV ads, the outside spending is the Senate race. So I think you're going to have a lot of people yeah. that are definitely going to vote for that. So I, I, I'm skeptical that that'll make a big um, okay. Different, but I'll I'll see if I can get I was, to the bottom just, of it for our conversation. <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> um, and then, what? How's the part? Like, is the party pushing the early the Democratic Party pushing early voting? Is that part of the reason that we're seeing? Like, is that part of the um, message? I mean, I know it is here. Like, we're always yeah. being encouraged to vote early. Is that also um, the message that that? Oh, without, going out yeah, without, from the campaign. Without question. 
Yeah, I mean, without question, it's it's one of the things that's reasonable for a party to do. And then the the one thing, especially in uh, Nashville and Hamilton County, and I don't have as good a feel for Shelby County, but but going back to like the Harold Ford race and President Obama running, we have pretty effective operations with souls from the polls and the African-American community and a member of faith and other leaders there. I mean, we've had, so we, we've had some uh, um, shake out of that in, in the years past where we've had elections in Nashville where that used to be 25% African-American that have been almost 50% in primaries just due to how effective some of these operations are. And, and frankly, just how used to voting some of these, uh, folks are now going back again to Harold Ford's race in 06 where there was about 40 or 50 million spent and then in 08 all around President Obama's election. So there's there's a pretty good early vote uh, machine when we've got a, a credible candidates. We just, the problem is <laughs> we just haven't had enough credible well-funded candidates in the last few seconds. So. <laughs> and how's the party, how's the party doing in Tennessee, the Democratic Party? I th- I mean I think they're doing a good job. I mean they've they've been fo- I, mean, I think they're focused on what they can where they can have an impact. I think they're they're trying to continue to selectively lift up some legislative candidates. I mean there's going to be 40 or 50 seat turnover in the legislature um wow. with a, you know a few incumbents lose um with few incumbents losing and then dozens of incumbents leaving. So it's there's going to be a very inexperienced group of people running government if Carl Dean doesn't win with Bill Lee never being around government and, and then a whole bunch of new Democratic and Republican legislators. So it's going to be – we're a state that doesn't change that much. You know, lots of incumbents for Senate and governor and Congress don't typically get beat, and uh, but uh, there's there's probably going to be more turnover than we ever had in Tennessee political modern history. So, hmm. well, that'll be interesting. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll Absolutely. be good. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely, it's got the lobbyists on their on the tips of their toes. I'm sure. So, oh yeah. Well, they'll be busy. No matter what happens, they'll be busy with all these new people exactly. trying to persuade them. Well, thank Amen. you very much. I'm going to turn it back to David. Yes. Uh, well. Uh, um, John, I think we have time for like one more question. I'm gonna wrap about four races into one. There's three open congressional seats and a very mm-hmm. uh, controversial Scott J- uh, Jardine. I hope I said that right. Um, Desjardins. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'm not yeah. first on my French pronunciations. But these four races, <laughs> one would think that something of these four races might be in play, but all of them are listed as likely Republican races um, or solid yeah. Republican races. How come none of these uh, districts materialized into anything competitive? Uh, I think part of it is, you know, the National Party that doesn't have Tennessee at the top of their list in terms of just Democratic performance in a lot of those districts. Um, part of it is you know, some of the people running didn't didn't raise a lot of money. You know, I, th- I think the days are lay seats one that may get closer than expected. There's an interesting candidate in the seventh district who is on the Amazing Race, you know, a reality program, and he's got kind of a 
uh, movie industry background who's run an interesting social media campaign, Justin Canoe. But I mean, he's in a it's Marshall Blackburn's district. It's got it's if, if you do if you hit it out of the park as a Democrat, you might get forty. 42 is is my read of that district. Hopefully, he proves me woefully wrong. It's just uh, those those districts just haven't been competitive, and the key ingredients I think the national people look for to to really invest in a race haven't really come together. And uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be a shock the world moment. But uh, that's uh, I think um, I mean the the one thing I will say I've seen probably 10 or 12 state legislative polls. And, and Bredesen's numbers in, in some of the most competitive seats in the, in the state, and he's been up between 7 and 23 points in those polls, these competitive seats. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot bluer than, than this state's seen in a long time. Yes. Uh, well, obviously everybody thinks we're watching your Senate race at a minimum, and if you have one good race on the – uh, ballot sometimes that that can be enough well um john we want to thank you for coming on and filling us in on tennessee no sweat have a good week thank, thank you, you very much sir. thanks a million keep working hard <laughs> all, right. Bye. all right 16 days bye <laughs> good night yep those john rowley um really works all over the nation but based in nashville so he has just some of the best insight into um Tennessee politics, as always. Uh, well, guys, um, that is, we don't do it this way a lot of times, but pretty much our guests close down the show tonight, which that's how it is. Um, next, we'll be back, next week, we'll be back with the Cudsy Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. <laughs>